0: crazy. I'm like doing this and Sue is in her room doing a tr- The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices
1: you make in determining your child's
0: treatment are completely at your own discretion.
1: Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is the, Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism.
0: Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet.
1: Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm here with the fabulous Dr. Doreen Grandpichet. Uh, and I'm hoping that she can hear me. She is probably not here. Oh my gosh! Thank you. Okay, fabulous. (laughs) And we should note that uh, normally we're sitting side by side in these chairs, but you can see that the screen looks a little different today because Dr. Grampiche is joining us live from Saudi Arabia, which is pretty cool. The technology could do that, and you look fabulous. Can I tell you that Saudi Arabia looks good on you? (laughs)
0: <laughs> Thank you very much. It's been it's been a week of long hours and hard work, and I'm really happy I got a chance to do the show just before heading to the airport to come back to the States.
1: And we've missed you, so we'll be excited to welcome you back stateside. <laughs> uh, but uh, thrilled that you are here, and thrilled that all of you are here to watch too, because as you know, if you've watched the show before, Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet is a true expert in the field of autism. She's been working in this field now for 40 40- years. 5 years. 45, that's pretty impressive. And working with very young children, even, you know, as babies up through senior citizens, so there is no aspect of the field that she has not worked with and experienced and the perspective that she brings to this field, I am so grateful for on a daily basis. Don't make me cry but the fact that she sees all of the members of that community as individuals to be treated with dignity and respect. I love, and I quote you all the time, her phrase, when when we're working with anyone, it has to be fair, which I just, I love. I think, you know, sometimes I go, oh, do we really have to explain that? But yes, we do, and I love that you do explain that to people, that it has to be fair. And I love that you see the individuals on the spectrum as individuals, whole individuals that need to be treated that way, but also the people who love them and are their caregivers. You see them as individuals too. That has been a great blessing in my life to have that viewpoint and to have your work in my life has changed my life. So I'm always thrilled and excited to get to spend this time with her And with all of you, because she donates this time and answers your questions from wherever you are. Uh, You might be in Saudi Arabia and want to ask a question. So we're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and about a dozen other sites. Traven's going to put them up on a screen in a few minutes. We're live right now and taking questions right now. But the show does podcast, and you have the opportunity to look at this and 12 years of videos with Dr. Grampy Shea to see if maybe the question you have was answered in 2012. Uh, it's possible, and the videos are there on our YouTube channel, um, and a lot of that is available on audio podcast for you now, anywhere that you get your podcast. So, I I'm so grateful for you, Dr. Pichet, and grateful to have this time with you.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Shannon, And honestly, I am so grateful to you for giving me this uh, opportunity. Honestly, because it's so lovely to look back and think that we've been doing this together for so many years and it just makes me very happy. Thank you.
1: Me too. It makes me very happy and um, I I just came back from a conference and it was so nice to meet uh, some people that you have worked with for many years because this was the ABAI uh, Autism Conference and to hear so many people say so many loving things about you and then also to see, so, you know, so there's there's the, the older BCBAs who've been in this field for a really long time. I don't, I don't think there was anybody there who's been in the field as long as you have, to be honest. Um, but right. people, people who've been there for 20, 25, 30 years were there. And then there are the people who've been there for 10 years. But it's also very exciting for me to meet the young people who are coming into the field. And, of course, they're coming in at a very interesting time. But, you know, to hear the love that all those generations of people have for you was really exciting for me. And all the people saying, please give her our love. So uh, so really exciting. So uh, we're gonna take your questions starting right now. You guys can be writing in right now to the live chat. You can say hello, whatever, and we'll try to respond to those. But we have a starting topic today and the starting topic is teaching skills that strengthen the ability to focus. Because we've gotten a lot of questions about how do I teach focus? Why can't I get my child to focus? Why isn't my teenager focusing? Why can't I focus? Um, So the first question that we have is, my eight-year-old son has made great strides, but we are still struggling with the ability to focus. He has a hard time paying attention or finishing a task. I ask him to do something, and it seems to go in one ear and out the other. The teacher says that it is, is his greatest challenge at school. I think that's a pretty common uh, sentiment that people have, you know, say to us over the years, is this ability to focus. So help us, Dr. Grampy-Shea, what kind of skills do you teach to sharpen that?
0: So that's an awesome question because it's it's uh, one of those situations where lots of different things could be contributing to this kind of difficulty to focus. So like everything else with autism, you have to think of the individual um, differently than, than anyone else. And you have to look at them as an individual and ask yourself a lot of different questions about why they are having a difficult time focusing. So let's try to go through some of those uh, things that I would ask if if a parent told me that. And I think it starts with, you know, making sure that we're all referring to the word focus um, as meaning the same thing, right? So we're looking at focus. For instance, some children will have a difficult time focusing on something either because they are uh, just very distractible um, or because they have issues with the stimulus input. So, and those will, each of those will have different, I guess, causes or potential causes. So the very beginning uh, thing that I would say is, okay, make sure the child has all, uh, you are giving them information through senses that they are able to receive information from. So in other words, some kids can focus perfectly well if you give them visual information, Uh, But they have a very hard time focusing on auditory information, like instructions that are verbal, vocal. Um, And, you know, a lot of my kids who have gone through the years um, and have, you know, we've known them for a long time, have said to me later on that they had difficulty hearing the sound of conversation because they were so sensitive to other background noises that were going on that normally we don't have that difficulty. So, you know, I always give the example that, uh, like, let's say you're in a room with someone and you're having a conversation, there could be 10 other things going on in the room. Uh, You could, you know, background noise of, let's say, a fan or trucks or cars in the street or a dog barking or... Uh, other conversations or, you know, plates in a restaurant, whatever. There's all this other stuff going on. But you have the ability to do this thing, which is like figure ground discrimination, right? And you you have the ability to focus on the sound of language. Now, we're given that ability just because we have grown up with these sounds and our, um, not only our inner ear, hair cells in our ear have... Become accustomed to recognizing those particular sounds, but so has our brain, right? And we've become uh, very able to focus on those particular sounds because they have meaning. And for a lot of our kids, it's very difficult to do that. It's almost like they're hearing a less, um, I guess, obvious sound. Like they, one of my kids actually told me that his, the sound that was the most prevalent for him or most pervasive in his head was the creaking sound of doors or various other sounds. And so language was somewhere in the background and he had to really focus on that. And the same is true for um, visual type of input. Um, And some of our kids have a very, very difficult time with even visual input because they are not able to scan. They're not able to track Um, As you know, Shannon, they have difficulty with things like facial recognition because the movements of the face are difficult for them to decipher and understand. There's a lot of stuff like that. And this has to do with sensory input, right? Sometimes uh, sounds or sights can be too harsh for them um, and overwhelming. And just that aspect alone will interfere with the child's ability to focus on a particular thing. Now, assuming the child has overcome that or that is not actually the issue, uh, then we talk, we can get further into it and talk about inattention, right? Or the ability, distractibility and all the things that lead to that. Uh, just not being able to stay focused on a particular thing for a period of time to benefit from it. And of course, you know, a lot of our kids have the same symptoms as as kids do with ADHD, where they're easily distractible. So uh, anything in their environment, something fluttering outside might distract them. Because remember, as I said, they might be more sensitive to those types of sounds that normally we would not be distracted by, but they are because they're hearing, for instance, the, the, a lot of my kids will hear something like an airplane coming way before the rest of us do, uh, you know, so that is of course easy to get distracted because all these other sounds that are lower for us are not for them. And so they will turn to see what it is. And they're curious visually the same thing. A lot of our kids don't have a kind of proper closed visual field and they're a bit, they are looking at too many things. In fact, one of my kids here that I'm working with has a real difficulty with just fo- keeping his eyes focused on the pertinent stimulus, whether it's a person or an object in front of him or whatever it is, he's just not able to keep his eyes on on that particular stimulus. So those are some of the things. Now, of course, uh, getting over all of that, then there's other issues like Things having to do with just attention. And as we know, a lot of our kids are have difficulty with attending uh, the way we do. And there's lots of different types of attention, and we take it for granted, right? Uh, but there's, for instance, divided attention, which means that you can shift your attention from one stimulus to another, um, rapidly, and that you see that with typically developing kids who are like, let's say, watching TV, and mom calls them from the kitchen and they break and take a look while the TV's gone, they go back, right? Being able to shift back and forth. That's a skill that could be practiced. Um, or the ability, as I said, to focus on, like, if someone calls your name, we most of us will attend to that. And put everything else in the background while we're uh, responding to our name or particular key words or things in the environment that are important, Uh, like someone shouting fire. We'll put everything else on on hold and pay attention to that. So you can teach the child what the key elements are, but you also have to help the child go slowly and shape that behavior. Because... Uh, you know, it is difficult for our kids. For instance, if a child can't really uh, pay attention to, let's say, a teacher uh, in a classroom, I'm not going to just try to get the, tell the child continuously to pay attention to the teacher. I'm actually going to help the child first pay attention to something that is possibly closer mm-hmm. and in yeah. less of a distractible field. And I'm going to reward that, and I'm going to try to maintain contact with that (laughs) so that the child has a longer period of time paying attention. Then I'm going to gradually move it further away, and then I'm going to put other distractors in the background so that the child knows that even though the teacher might be standing two feet away or three feet away and there are other things in the background, I am supposed to be looking at the teacher and listening to her And, you know, this is a shaping procedure, and these are things that you can teach the child to do behaviorally. And uh, uh, there are lots and lots of lessons that can help the child shift attention rapidly, pay attention to the uh, most prevalent uh, type of stimulus in a background, both visually and auditorily. And those are things that you practice Now, again, there are other kind of biological things that could affect one's attention or focus are things like, uh, is the child sleeping? None of us focus very well when we're not sleeping. None of us focus very well when we're too hyper, um, which could happen to our kids based on their diet, um, on the amount of sugar they're ingesting, all those different things. So Every child is different and you really have to ask yourself, what is it that the child is not able to focus on? And in most cases, you need to teach that behavior in gradual steps because uh, basically it's not it's a very abstract and difficult thing for children to know exactly what to focus on, how to remain focused on that stimulus um, and how to you know block out all the other distractions
1: I have so many questions uh, but we, yeah, have a, we have a live question but I have so many different things that you that you touched on that I uh, and I keep thinking about questions that people were asking yesterday that I wished you had been with me Um but I, first of all, I want to remind everybody that we are live right now. I know our setup looks different, uh, and it might suggest to you that we aren't live right now, but today is Tuesday, February 21st, uh, and we're live right now with Dr. Grant Pichet who happens to be in Saudi Arabia, but this is a live feed that we are taking live questions. Um, and I'll, I'll put some of my questions on hold because I want to get to this one that May sent in. Thank you, May, for writing in. She says, my daughter doesn't like wearing her headphones but hates noisy places. It's frustrating. Any suggestions on a good kind to buy? Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, So, yeah, you have to, I think, May, you need, okay, so I'll just say right away, there's the new um, uh, headphones that are out from, uh, like, the iPhone, or I forget what they're called, but, you know, the ones that are, uh, like earbuds, but they're actual headphones. Oh, I didn't know from that. From Apple, from Apple, they're they're new. They're pretty expensive, but they are noise canceling, and they have a switch. Where first of all, they're extremely comfortable. The Apple ones, the new ones, and but and they have a switch where you can take away the noise canceling. But it's very interesting. So you hear the background, but much 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 less. And so it doesn't feel like you're completely isolated from the world, which noise canceling headphones can do that. Uh, but at the same time, it blocks out like sounds that might be irritating and it helps you just listen to what you're listening to. Um, I love those. I, my daughter has one and I've tried them on. I'm like, wow, these are amazing. But I think with your daughter, May, you have to figure out what it is about the headphones that she doesn't like. Um, Some of our kids don't like the pressure that, you know, and there's so many different types of headphones. Take her to a store and try them on because they're the type that cup completely over your ears. There are the ones that just fit the size of your ears if you want to go even smaller that she might like are earbuds. And earbuds, there are different shapes of earbuds that you actually put inside the ear. They're the ones that hang off of the lobe. There's just so many different ones. And my recommendation is to, if, if you're testing them out, make sure that you do it for short periods of time with some music or story or something that she likes so that she's, it's pleasant enough for her to be willing to try them. for And then I, I think you'll be able to find one if you are presenting something pleasant for her to listen to. And, yeah, there's tons of really good um, headphones out there now. And
1: I, we included in the toy guide this year, usually we include a set of headphones um, that are for adults, but this year we put in the LeapPod Max, uh, which are put out by LeapFrog, which the thing that I love about them is that, first of all, there's a, uh, a setting on it that your, you ch- your child can't overcome, so they cannot turn the music up so loud that they could do damage to their hearing because we've seen so many times that that has happened with young people <laughs> on and off the spectrum. But I also love that it comes pre-programmed with music that they can choose that's like calming, relaxing music, but you can absolutely use them to, to hook up to a Bluetooth and and they, where they can you know have the entire world but I like things yeah. that are user friendly
0: yeah those I brought one here yeah. uh, for one of the kids here and I was playing around with it and it's they're awesome they have uh, a whole set of like dance music is one of the channels it's got lots of different types of fun dance music it has another one as you said which is
1: like medical uh, right.
0: Yeah, and in fact, it has like meditation, as well as like relaxing music for calm and sleep, and it has it has a lot of different options. I think it had something like seven or eight channels, and on each channel, there's like ten different options of pre-programmed stuff. So it's, it's they're pretty cool.
1: It kind of reminded. It's not like that very much on planes anymore, but you know, on the, in the old days in the plane, you would plug in your your headphones. And they had like seven channels that you could choose from that you could listen to. And that was like all you could listen to, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So funny. Saying good morning to EFL a lot. Uh, thrilled that you're here. Write in if you have a question right now for Dr. Grampy because we are live right now. I wanted to go back to one of the many things that you said when you were talking about focus. You were talking about um, individuals' ability to uh, decode sounds and, um, and 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 kind of raise some sounds and lower other sounds. One of the questions that I got yesterday, uh, a person came up to me and said, is it too late? There's a 19-year-old young woman on the spectrum that um, has no functional communication, is not yet potty trained, and she was saying, is it too late for there to be any benefit for her? And I said, you know, it's so interesting to me that... Um, of course, there's, there's uh, you know, it's never too late. We can all be learning and growing and whatever. But one of the things that I've noticed in the last 10 years is that there is a growing group of young women, starting with Carly Fleischman, but also including Emily Grodin, and there are several others who are now very vocal and are typing and writing and saying all these things, where for years they were considered completely non-vocal, non completely non-verbal. Like no sign of any, in, in Carly Fleischman's case, there was no sign that she knew what her name was, that she knew who her parents were, whatever. And now, you know, I, I encourage everybody to watch the interview that she did with Channing Tatum, where she typed the questions and, and flirts with Channing Tatum. I mean, it's one of the most luscious things you could ever see and the level of communication that she's capable of now. But a lot of these young women are talking very specifically, now that they have the ability to communicate, about the fact that when they were younger and people were trying to teach them language, it was all garbled in their heads. And that it wasn't until they were like 13, 14, 15, after puberty had set in, that it kind of that they were able to start distinguishing sounds, which led to them being able to communicate. But often by that point, the people around them had given up on teaching them, which is so sad Mm -hmm. to me. But I I guess my question, so I was saying to this person, there's, you know, first of all, functional communication is something that everyone has a right to and everybody, you know, we have to be attempting, for a 19-year-old, I said, can you imagine how frustrating her world is? Oh, Um, yeah. But, and, and, and I was telling her about these other women that now she can go buy books that, to read what they have to say, read Emily Groden's poetry, my goodness. It's like life-changing. But um, is this something, the fact that I've been seeing this in young women over the last 10 years, I thought, oh, I've got to ask Dr. Grampiche. have you seen this just with young women or is this also young men? And have you seen this phenomenon very much or is it rare?
0: So, I mean, I have not seen a lot of people who had no way of communicating and then suddenly began communicating. Um, But going back to, I guess, the question and and sort of what you were explaining, I think that no matter what age you are, uh, learning how to express yourself non-vocally on a keyboard or through other means is very possible. And we have taught adults how to communicate. And in fact, I think it's extremely difficult living without the ability to communicate. So most of the time, if an individual is not typing um, or using iconic communication or sign or something, at an early age, like by the time they're five or six, a lot of frustration occurs and they develop other challenging behaviors because they can't communicate. And not being able to communicate, you might have parents who are trying their best to figure out what it is you want, but it is still very, very difficult And if I ever see a non-verbal, non-vocal child who has no other means of communicating and they're like past, let's say six or seven and they're not very frustrated and aggressive and, and just unhappy, I'm surprised, I'm shocked. And I think that that individual, you know, in the old days, Shannon, before we knew how to use iconic communication, right, before PICs and before these OGG devices and typing and all of this sort of stuff, there were children who were very, very frustrated because they could not communicate. And many, many, many years ago, we all, kind of a group of us together, realized a lot of our kids are just, they don't understand language. And we have to teach them in vocal language, vocal language, and we have to teach them in other ways. And up to that point, the children were either, like, very frustrated and then, honestly, most of the time, psychiatrists or neurologists would actually just medicate them because they were acting out, right, in everybody's mind. I mean, I have met adults who – so I guess this is the real answer to your question. I have met adults who were so frustrated – that they were self injurious to a very extreme level. And when we taught them just like five icons, like very severely affected adults. And when we've taught them like five things through through iconic communication pictures, right? I wanna break, I'm hungry, um, like I'd like to go outside, like five or six what we call mans or requests, their aggression reduced significantly because uh, and and of course, as a result of that, they no longer were you know placed in isolation or all these other things they became much more so part of community so and and the people that I'm thinking of are all males actually, to answer your question. so I guess it is yeah, so I guess it is possible that 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 still happens where people don't receive um, education or, or tutoring or instruction in use of non-vocal communication techniques, but I hope that it will start to end soon because, you know, there's so many advanced technological ways of communicating now that a lot of our kids are exposed to those and they benefit from those.
1: Okay. Um, We've got a question that came in and uh, they're watching right now, so hopefully they can clarify too. They said, morning. Morning. Fifteen-year-old on the spectrum, fully verbal, but has social anxiety, especially around new people or communication. Question mark. He reads on a fifth-grade level and uh, spells on a second-grade level. Uh, and they said application for assistance in, in communicating for a fully verbal with socially uh, social anxiety. So I think I think what you're asking, EFL, is you know what can we do. For somebody who's verbal but is having anxiety when communicating uh, around people, I think that's what you're asking, and I hope I haven't misread that. Um, but social anxiety yeah. is a very big issue right now, and I think it's a very big issue for a lot of people. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I hear I was at this conference this weekend. And I'm somebody who has social anxiety and I'm not afraid to say it. And I was around a lot of people and I haven't been around a lot of people very much since the pandemic. And every once in a while I would say something like, you know, I kind of get a little overwhelmed and somebody would say, are you okay? And I would say, yes, this is just very weird for me. I'm not used to being around this many people and I don't have my mask on, I feel naked. And I thought to myself, if I, and I over communicate. (laughs) Let's be honest, I'm an over-communicator. But what is it like right now for a 15-year-old that already has a diagnosis of something that is, the the communication is hard for them? Um, Yeah. It's got to, and you've you've been sort of in, like, you you know, you hit uh, the pandemic like right around 11, 12. Like, this is a
0: hard time for these young people. Yeah, and 15 is a hard time anyway. Yeah, for everyone, like it's just a rough age, right? Um, Because our bodies are changing, friendships are weird at that age, there's all sorts of stuff happening. So, there's a lot I can tell you about this, about social anxiety in general. One thing for sure, though, I think people need to realize I mean, this is a hard, this is a a complex one, but I'm going to attempt to summarize one aspect of because anxiety is a really big deal whether it's social anxiety or any other type of anxiety generalized or whatever separation or whatever it might be it's a big deal and it can make life very difficult for the individual who's expressing who's experiencing it and it's not just um, kids on the spectrum there's like a lot a large percentage of people suffer from anxiety of one type or another now, with social anxiety in particular, and I'm going to come back and talk about kind of just medication because it's important, I think, that we have an understanding of, of that aspect of, of treatment. First of all, for anxiety, the two types of treatments that generally are the most effective and, have, and often go hand in hand to be even more effective are cognitive behavior therapy and medication. We'll talk about medication in a moment, but cognitive behavior therapy and and can be modified in some ways to be more just pure behavior therapy when it comes to individuals on the spectrum. But there are lots of different things you can do through this. So one is preparation. Preparation of any kind of social situation always helps. Um, in fact, there's a lot of research that shows that people who have like very significant Uh, you know, fear of public speaking, for instance, which is a big form of anxiety, uh, uh, don't and are completely capable of doing it if if they're going to get up and talk about a topic that they're very, very practiced and familiar with. So familiarity and practice of any kind of social environment or role play is always going to help. So that's first of all. Secondly, when it comes to friendships and social and all that sort of stuff, Our goal, like a lot of times as parents, we we want our kids to just, we think, I'm going to put my child in a social situation and they're going to find friends. And that doesn't happen. In fact, they get more nervous, more anxious, more isolated because like they might fail. So the best way to approach it is to actually bring one friend into their lives. And that can be done in a lot of different ways. It can be a neighbor, it can be a cousin, it can be one other person that they feel much more comfortable with, who's hopefully of the same age or close to the same age, a peer, and have them interact in the way that the individual now starts to establish a bond, a trusting relationship, feels a little bit more high self-esteem, feels a little bit more comfortable, and then they are able to hope, the ideal scenario, which we always shoot for, is to find one other child from their classroom, who they can bond with because when they're back in the classroom now they know a child and it's almost like here's a child who's going to stand up for them who's going to be their buddy think about you know even us all of us we act completely differently if we're alone versus with one other person completely differently in fact like you might be traveling with one other person, you'll go to restaurants, you'll go out and try things, you'll go to shopping, you'll go to places. If you're all alone, it is much less likely that you'll do those things. And that is also a form of social anxiety. So giving the child one other person is extremely helpful to them. Now, you can also give the child just uh, th- other objects or things that might help the child be Uh, feel more secure. You know, as as young, young, young children, we often have like a security blanket or something, right? Now, as we age, we give up those things, but we don't really. If you think about it, uh, most of us wear, let's say, some sort of necklace, some sort of ring, some sort of whatever that gives us a sense of safety, uh, you know, or familiarity. And so with our kids... You can also give them an object, like something that makes them feel like, oh, this is something from home. This is something of my mom's. This is something that makes me feel, I'm just going to put it in my pocket. This is um, like a charm that shows that you know God is watching over me. Whatever it is that your belief system is, but the objects of that nature that act in kind of a protective way or the child believes or the, the teenager believes – Often are very very helpful as well. Now there's a lot of, as I said, and also just gradually acclimating the child to the individual, to school, all that sort of stuff. All of these things help with anxiety. But there and and there's also uh, practices like uh, breathing exercises, meditation types of things that you can do. Uh, actually evoking the anxiety provoking situation and then teaching the child how to breathe through it, how to find activities in the school environment, let's say, um, you know, who they can go to talk to. Uh, If you're feeling anxious, you can also go to this part of the playground. You can go and do such and such. You can get a book from the library, like giving them solutions, tools. Those types of things are very, very helpful. Now, on the medication side, which I really want to just hit on because I think it's super important. A lot of parents are... They don't want to try anti-anxiety medications, which, by the way, are the same exact medication as antidepressants. Anxiety and depression are sort of dealt with the same way. And these are the the neurotransmitters. The, these medications control our neurotransmitters, particularly serotonin, which we produce. And if serotonin is not absorbed enough in our brain, we tend to feel more anxious So medications that are given to us are what's called serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So what they do is they allow us to absorb our own production of serotonin for a longer period of time. And so the brain receives more serotonin and then is calmer. The reason I'm talking about SSRIs, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, is that you know, you may be someone that thinks I don't want to put my child on medication, but you have to realize that our environment, our food source, especially in the U.S., is now has become genetically modified to the level that we now don't receive anymore the nutrients that we need in order to produce enough serotonin and norepinephrine and dopamine and so on so in some ways our environment is producing this anxiety a lot of the stuff that we do the toxicity in our environment the foods etc and so i am one of those people that feels i much want my much more would like my kids to not experience anxiety and i really don't think uh, poorly of those SSRIs, SNRIs that also control norepinephrine. And I just feel that it is, I've seen so many children lead happier lives when they're not experiencing that level of anxiety. And there's, you know, you guys, all the way back to, honestly, I was a graduate student. So this is, we're talking pre-1990 when I'm I was looking for things that in those days, they knew very little. We still know very little about what causes anxiety or causes autism. But when you were studying autism, even back then, a lot of research pointed to an imbalance in serotonin. And so I think it's really important that we help our kids with both medical and, as usual, cognitive behavioral or behavioral interventions together in order for them to not experience anxiety. Sorry, really long answer. I apologize. No,
1: thank you, thank you, thank you. Judy has written in and said Noah, um, her son, is 14 this Friday, and the Dynavox device has been tried since age three years old and so hard for him due to the loudness. Only way to communicate is spelling. She says coping skills for my boy is so hard to learn when the IQ is low. Uh, Would love to know more. Meltdowns are so bad his body shakes from
0: trying to calm Oh, Judy, I wish I could see him and give you more pointers, but I know exactly what you're talking about because I hate the sound of the Dynavox as well. It's so disturbing to me as well. I get it. Um, A lot of kids just use iPads um, in order, and there are lots of, you know, Proloquo and there are lots of other programs on iPads that you can, that don't make sound. And honestly, all he needs to start with are like, one to five things that he commonly wants. That's it, you know, and start with those objects. And I've never had a child not be able to use an iconic type of uh, communication through one of the devices. You're very, it's great that you've picked up on the fact that the Dynavox sound disturbs him. I would move over to something as simple as an iPad. But I I do know that it is very hard and you should look into what else you can do. Is it all other noises? Maybe he needs to have a quiet corner where he can put sound uh, blocking headphones and listen to calming music uh, multiple times a day. Is it other stimuli in the environment? what are the things and i know it's very very hard to know when your child is non-communicative what exactly is bothering them because we don't know they might have all sorts of sensory issues that are bothering them they might have pain we don't know it's very very upsetting i completely understand the best you can do i think is to try to put figure out one thing that is calming it could be music it could be just silence with headphones it could be pressure on his body it could be swinging uh it could be ar- aromas there are a lot of different things that calm our kids and once you've identified that thing, put him on a schedule of receiving that thing at, at frequently you know like once an hour allow him to have access to that calming thing as much as possible and as Shannon often says, I give you an air hug because I can't it's just so difficult yeah.
1: Uh, a lot of people are writing in about anxiety. I want to acknowledge that Linda has written in and said, I taught my daughter coping skills to help manage her meltdowns, no meds. She graduated six months uh, high school six months early and has been working the same job for over five years and just got her driver's license. She's 26 years old and a total blessing. I love hearing that. Nice. Uh, jo- Joannie has written in and, and said, uh, a lot of people are writing from the East Coast and telling us how lovely it is where they are and asking us to stay warm in LA. It's not that bad today, but apparently we have this massive winter storm coming. I hope you get home before it, Dr. Graham. Oh, um, thank Like Wonderful. they're saying, it is as much, as much cold and rain and even, you know, sleet and snow as we've had in LA of late. Uh, apparently the big one is coming. This week, so don't, don't don't tell me this, Shannon. I'll be flying
0: in a few hours. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't, I it's
1: not scheduled to be here till Wednesday or Thursday. That's why I'm saying hopefully you'll be home before that. But uh, but I, I I you know I was out of the loop for two days, and everybody when I got home last night they were like, oh, it's coming, and it's going to last yeah. all weekend. I was like, whatever. Um this it's oh, Thursday
0: because I'll still be in the air on Wednesday. Remember, it oh, takes thirty okay. hours. Like no, like I think, Thursday. Hours I think it's
1: Thursday. I think I think you're okay. Fingers crossed. I'm not I'm not trying to scare you. Um and, and in North Carolina it's seventy two and beautiful today. Uh, nice. Okay, so May said my child is still nervous around family and hopefully this gets easier this year. In fact mm-hmm. she's six years old and will refuse to go see grandma.
0: Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? And maybe, yeah, it is. And you should figure out possibly something happened where your child had a bad experience. It doesn't necessarily have to be something intentional. It could have been something quite accidental, uh, where, you know, child is at grandma's and some loud stimulus cha- scares child, uh, whatever it is. Um, and try to reverse that if it's important to you, uh, by having grandma be the only source of, uh, of some reinforcer. So, you know, let's say a ch- the child loves a particular toy or particular dessert, whatever it is, and they can only get it from grandma and that will quickly reverse that cycle. But, um, it is, it's difficult. And I think, the more we teach our family members how to interact and um you know i'm i'm with a family um that i work with they have a lot of kids and uh, our child is only really comfortable with uh two of the family members you know and and you can see why because those two family members know exactly how to interact with this child Um, They're very rewarding, they're very communicative, whereas the other ones are maybe over, uh, they're just chaotic, or loud, or noisy, or frustrated, or whatever it might be.
1: Uh, Joanne wrote in and said, we're finding anxiety in our non-ASD children, adult children. Uh, She says, (laughs) I was just at Trader Joe's this weekend and it was crazy, so many people. The ASD son did great. He was focused on finding non dairy ice cream. Our daughter couldn't stay in the store. She told me, Mom, you've got 20 minutes in here. I can't do more than that. She was also looking yep. for her mask, and, the, and that bother, bothered her that she didn't have one with her. And there were so many people yep. too close and touching.
0: How do I help her?
1: You don't think
0: exactly, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. And a lot of people are, are in that particular boat after COVID. And Shannon, you were just saying that earlier. It's like how do their kids, you know, a a young, let's say 15-year-old who was 11 or 12 or 13 when when COVID hit. And I don't don't know if you guys remember, but the beginning of COVID, COVID, we were all pretty terrified because we didn't know what this is. It was over time that we all kind of acclimated and... Given the fact that we are adults and we've had many illnesses, perhaps over time we learn not to be as fearful. But honestly, a lot of people are still extremely fearful Um, and in some cases rightfully so, right? I mean, it still is a uh, disease that is very, very harmful to individuals that may have other illnesses or other ailments. And uh, for our kids, it is something that, um, for a long time, it was ingrained in them. And for ages, our kids had to sit in class with masks on for much longer than we did. And so I I remember saying to my kids and younger kids, like, I don't know how you guys do it. It's all day long and you have masks on. And uh, so now going to them and saying, hey, you don't need a mask. It's a scary thing. They've had it for three years. So it's It's a difficult situation. I think people will gradually adjust to that whole thing. And like I said, Joannie, with your daughter, um, that is a situation that is very acceptable right now because there's a lot of people s- struggling with this issue. If she starts to get to the point where it starts to really interfere with her social life, like for instance, I don't want to go out with you at all, mom, or I'm not going to this situation, or she starts to become like agoraphobic or severely socially phobic, then that's the time to really start intervening. And as I said, same exact stuff. It's cognitive behavior therapy, where you do exercises that expose you to the situation or to thoughts about the situation that's fear evoking or anxiety evoking paired with calming meditation and you might want to consider medication and those are the two interventions
1: okay uh we've only got you for a couple more minutes here but uh uh, Judy has said that she would like to do a Zoom call with the both of, both of us. I can't promise anything, Judy, but write to me. You can email me, Shannon, at autism-live.com, and I'll, I'll see if that's a possibility, if Christmas can come early. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Linda says that they had to remove the fluorescent light bulbs uh, and change them yep, because her daughter will. could hear them. That's a pretty common yes. thing. Let's try this. would like to know, what do you think of L-carnitine for attention span?
0: Yeah. So these are supplements and, you know, amino acids. And, yes, there are some kids who have a deficiency of some of the amino acids, and certainly when you give them the correct supplement, it will help them in one way or another. I highly recommend to all of our parents – that they connect with a functional medicine physician um, who is going to uh, test your child's everything, like they you know, are they deficient in any kind of of vitamin, supplement, mineral, you name it, and or are they reacting to anything in their diet? Uh, Is there inflammation in the body? All those types of things. And then they will, through change of diet, change of supplementation, uh, help your child function at their best. And, yeah, L-carnitine is one of those things that is not really harmful. It's similar to asking whether I should put my child on uh, essential fatty acids, fish oil. And, of course, that is another thing that a lot of people – Believe, and it is known to improve brain functioning and memory and attention and all of those things.
1: And you've made great strides in the, the field of uh, behavior analysis, uh, talking about individuals as a whole people, even yesterday, I, I said yep. something to somebody because they were describing a behavior and, and, and I was like, "Has any have you had this child looked at for yeast? And the look on their face, it was like they immediately were like, oh, no, you're one of those whack noodles and, and I said, I, can I just stop you for yeah. a second? And, and, I, and I, there were two people standing there, and I, and I was like, uh, do you have any dietary restrictions to the one? And she was like, oh, I have so many dietary restrictions. And I, and I said, why? And, and, and mm-hmm. I, said, did, I, I said, do you have any dietary No. And I said, but you're both people. So... Like, you know, why can she, why can you eat a ham sandwich, but she can't because, you know, different things for different people. And I, I, I'm so glad that you are in the field of behavior analysis and speaking common sense to people about looking at the whole individual as an individual (laughs) and what, and what supplement you might take or not. And that like all kinds of things could have a positive or a negative effect.
0: Absolutely. I mean, and it's funny you say that because honestly, I think I take, I'm not sure, somewhere around 15 supplements a day. Like I personally, right in the morning, it takes me like 10 minutes to take all my vitamins. But, but my point is that, you know, when someone gets a diagnosis of autism and and then you bring up something like, oh, have you thought of a supplement or, oh, have you thought of yeast or, oh, have you thought of gastrointestinal inflammation? Then we're looked at as what's wrong with you? Why are you suggesting something like that? Because we should only be looking at the child behaviorally. And that's not true. We're all human beings. And all all of us need all of the things that human beings need, including all the amino acids, all the uh, supplements that we, we need, vitamins and things that we no longer get from our diet, our food source. So, yeah, I, I, agree with you. I think it's super important for everybody to, to look at those things as well. Well, but, and behavior analysts in
1: particular, they, it's so funny how they look at some of them, not all of yep. them look at yep. behavior in a vacuum. And, and, and yep. I, and I, so one person was like, well, diet hasn't been shown to affect behavior. And I was like, really? I said, how about, I, how about I, how about I go swig a beer? You don't think my behavior is going to change after I have a beer? And she kind of, she was like, well, no, of course. And I was like, then what did you just say? Yeah, I just don't understand the disconnect. But I love that you are at the forefront of making sure that that disconnect doesn't continue. The whole person, amen, yes. Um, (laughs) All right. I know we have to let you go so that you can go get on a plane. But I just want to thank, thank you, you for being everyone. who you are, knowing what you know, thank and sharing it in the loving way that you do.
0: I love you, and thank you so much, everyone. It was lovely having an hour with you all, and next time I'll be back home in L.A.
1: There we go. Well, fly safe. Uh, we thank We adore you, you and, and get some rest. Uh, I know it's going to take thank you a day or two to get home. but uh, And and say uh, hello and goodbye to everybody there, and give them our love. Oh.
0: Thank you, and, and would you do me a Take-
1: favor? Would you do me one favor? Because I know you're about to, to see her. Because um, we were talking about Dynavox, and we were talking about different devices. There is a specific app that Sucho particularly recommends, uh, and I can't remember what it is. But I would love to know what her recommendation is. Uh, it's, sure. It's, I'll it's,
0: ask her when I see her, and then I'll let you know when I'm there next week. All right. Fantastic.
1: I look forward to that. All right. Fly safe. Uh, I Bye-bye. Bye-bye. But I want to, uh, we've got just a minute here, you guys, and I want to talk about a, a couple of things that are happening this week and coming up. First of all, don't forget we are doing the Autism Network podcast the first ever podcast-a-thon that, for autism. We are going to be live, we're going to try to be live for 44 straight hours, uninterrupted, nonstop live craziness, right? And it's funny because I was talking about this with people they're like, well, are you just going to have one topic? And I was like, no, we're going to cover 44 plus topics. And, uh, and they were like, are you going to do the whole thing? Of course not. I can't stay awake for 20 hours, let alone 44 hours, but we're going to have guest takeovers. So the, it's a who's who, uh, of autism Uh, already. The people who are going to be taking over for an hour, Um, like I know the Ed Asner Family Center is going to be taking over for an hour. I know that Taka is going to be taking over for an hour. We have amazing guests. Dr. Temple Grandin's already going to be doing an hour. Um, so it's going to be uh, Dr. Mary Barbera is going to be doing an hour. Uh, the Just Two Dads are going to be doing an hour. It's going to be the, the Autism Advocate is going to be doing an hour. It's going to be off the chain. So, and it's all free. I love that. It is all free. But can I tell you that we are, it's going to be sponsored and each hour has an opportunity to be sponsored by someone. So if you know somebody who has a company and you think that they should be sponsoring autism events, whether they have a product that's right for the autism community or they want to align themselves with the autism community. Um, and and that is, you know, we are un, unashamedly saying now, because we're out on our own with the Autism Network, um, that we are looking for sponsors. We, and we have to have sponsors in order to stay on the air. I think we're all aware of, you know, that we can't do this uh, unless we have uh, money coming in. And we never want for that money to come from our viewers. We know that the information that we're providing needs to be free for you to be able to consume it. So please ha- support us in getting good sponsors uh, to to make it possible to do the things that we do. Uh, but I hope that you'll tune in to and interact with our live guests because that's the whole fun point. Uh, And yes, and thank you, Judy, for reminding me to say that that starts on April 4th at 3 p.m. Pacific time. So we will, it's a Tuesday. We will come in that morning. We will do Ask Dr. Doreen regular, and then we'll take a few hours off. I'm going to nap. That's my plan. And then at three o'clock, we will go live and we will attempt to stay live for 44 straight hours. Everybody's saying why 44, because the CDC numbers are currently one in 44. So we are commemorating that. That means that we will end at 11 a.m. on Thursday, which is normally, you know, we would do a show and then it would be over. So, but we'll have stayed live for the entire entirety of Wednesday, that entire 24 hours. So wherever you are, we will be live. There it is. We will be live someplace where you can watch us, which is really fun. Now, tomorrow, and I think soon we're going to have a sign-up where you can sign up for updates, and there's already a place on the website. It doesn't have a whole lot of information yet, uh, but hopefully this week I'm going to be able to input that information. Um, But you can, you know, check out and whatever, but we'll have a a sign-up where you can, uh, we'll be doing newsletters for the um, podcast-a-thon. Now, tomorrow, though, we've got a great guest lined up for you that uh, he calls himself the Driven Autism Dad. What a story this gentleman has. He's going to be joining us tomorrow. Uh, Six kids, I believe two of them are on the spectrum. And he made a decision in his household that being, that everybody being happy was going to be a driving force in their family. And he wants to tell you about what he did to make that happy and how they got through that. And listen, this gentleman has been through some stuff because he got his family happy and everything cooked along but since then uh unfortunately his wife has passed away and still now he is a single dad of six kids uh and and it's still the driving force to have these kids be happy he's got a message that I think is really important for parents so you won't want to miss that tomorrow and then on Thursday we have um the last of our let's talk movies before our big Oscar show so, you know, if you watched the show last year, we we just decided to do an Oscar show and then we we had so much fun doing it that we've been regularly every month doing a Let's Talk Movies. But this is the last one before our next big Oscar show. So, we we're, we're going to be talking about some films on Thursday with Moira Giamateo who is an amazing mentor from TACA, the Autism Community in Action. So tune in for that. And then, of course, on Fridays, Stories from the Spectrum. So that's how our week is shaping up. It's going to be really good. I hope you guys will join us there. And check out the library of videos that we have available for you on YouTube. Uh, make sure that you're liking, sharing, Uh, telling other people because, again, that's how we stay on the air as well. And if you want to find any more information about any of the things that we've talked about, the best place to go is autismnetwork.com. That is the, the main website now uh that is the driving force of everything that we're doing you're going to be able to find the most recent videos there we are about to revamp the autism hyphen live site because there's it's like falling apart apologize we're working on it um but hopefully soon that will but right now the main place to go autismnetwork.com you'll find everything about all the shows that we're doing here so i must say that i it's such a pleasure and a privilege to get to spend this time with you guys. I I really, uh, when get, getting to go, like I didn't, I don't like to be around people, especially now since the pandemic, I'm like right there with all of your kids. And I'm like, ah, and I needed to go to this conference and I was hemming and hawing and like, ah, oh, I'm not sure I want to go. And, um, but what it did was remind me how, really wonderful it is to be with people and and what a privilege it is and to see what people are doing, what they're working on, their triumphs, but to also be with people in their, their concern and their fear that there's something that they don't know and their desire to get to a place where they are of better support um, to their kids, really amazing. And it made me so grateful to have this platform to be able to connect with you guys. So I was so glad that I went um, and met the people that I met and and that I could come back here and that we could continue having conversations with Dr. Grand Pichet. So I just I really wanted to say how much it means to me that you guys are here. I'm getting emotional. We should stop. But I will see you tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you too. Bye bye.